the social program on Radio Islam International and this week uh, we are discussing uh, business ethics and this is part two of uh, the discussion that uh, Mulana had commenced by Brian Barmett commenced two weeks back where we spoke about uh, business uh, business ethics, the importance of, of monetary dealings, uh, the longest ayah in the Quran as well speaks about uh, monetary dealings. This is uh, permissible. Trade is permissible in many of the scholars of the past, uh, our own scholars that we study their books and so on, were traders as well. And then of course we touched a bit about um, the importance of paying one's debt, clarity in business transactions. These were some of the points uh, that were mentioned in that program two weeks back and we continue with that discussion uh, this week. Malana Ibrahim Bama joins us in studio this morning. Malana, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and assalamu alaikum to all the listeners of Radio Islam. Uh, it's good to have Malana in the studio. Nice to be in the studio, alhamdulillah. It is just, uh, yeah, it seems much more personal than being on the phone, which I suppose in today's time, given virtual meetings and um, you know those type of things we we have become now accustomed to that but from time to time we need the personal touch and it's always nice to be personally in the studio and especially the studio of radio islam is always nice and bright alhamdulillah and a lot of light in here alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah. Uh, spiritual as well as physical light. That's true. Alhamdulillah. With presence, I'm sure that the spiritual light has increased as well. Um, well the, the topic that we, we we continue with this week is that uh, on business ethics. Yes, Moana, we, we, we last week we spoke about the importance of business. 90% uh, of risk Allah is kept in trade. Allah Ta'ala in the Quran has made mention of people who travel for trade side by side with people who travel in the path of Allah in Surah Muzammil. And there are many other benefits uh, in, in, in trade. And um, when we talk about ethics, we did speak about one or two in our previous program. Although one must say that despite the emphasis on halal trade and business and ethical and fair and halal trade, uh, today we know that the business world is caught up in the web of, web of fraud and deceit. So therefore we find that sometimes, sorry to say, people are, you know, have container diversions, uh, uh, specialized in specials, solvent liquidations, right. you know, where you have pleading liquidation while having money in other fronts and other companies and other entities, uh, free port taxation, you know. So we have all of this, you know, and therefore many people start asking the question. When you see that type of environment pervading the business field, people can ask the question, is it naive for Muslims in such an environment to behave ethically in a globally competitive market characterized by such murky undercurrents? So many times people ask the question, that everyone, our competitors are behaving uh, unethically. Why are you forcing us to behave ethically? You know, and if we are going to behave ethically and honestly, we are going to lose our competitive edge. Is it naive for Muslims to be honest and just in business? Well, honesty, and well, this is a very important question, deprive Muslim business, uh, businessmen of the competitive, competitive edge over their business rivals. Has it become unsound business practice to be honest? So many times people, these questions are going to be asked. But at the same time, we have to say 
for every Muslim, we must be an emphatic no to all these questions. Is it naive to behave, behave ethically in a globally competitive market characterized by such murky undertones? Is it naive for Muslims to be honest and just in business? Is it too costly to be honest? Uh, has it become unsound business principle to be honest? Will honesty deprive us of the competitive edge over our business rivals? We have to say no to all of this. And it is for this reason that since trade is trader is constantly confronted with such temptations to forego divine commands and injunctions for the sake of Allah, I mean, to, to forego divine commands for the sake of material gain, Nabi Karim Sallallahu has given such a great reward. The honest trader will be in the company of the Anbiya. Why? Because there are so many temptations. So I think it's important that we, we try and look at these things very, very carefully. And part of it is uh, we have to have business ethics. And, we, you know, we've done it before. Let me just very briefly go through some of it. Um, and trade by definition entails dealing with people. And it must be a mutual association between buyer and seller. And there has to be mutual consent is the primary ingredient of trade which must be sustained at every cost you cannot force the buyer to sell you cannot force the the person who is buying to to buy says allah in the quran oh believers do not take the wealth of one another by wrong means except through the means of trade by mutual consent and that is why in our sharia to sustain mutual consent, there should be no coercion. You can't put a gun on, on someone's you know, head to enter into a business transaction. If there is something like that, it impacts on the legality of the trade. Nabi Karim Sallallahu therefore had said, you know, with regard to over-aggressive sales marketing, beware of excessive oaths and over-praising your merchandise. It may help to secure a trade. It might help secure a deal. But it will wipe away all blessings. So stay away, Iyakum. And then in one hadith, Nabi Karim said, Iyakum wa kathratul half. Stay away from excessive oaths in taking in business, taking qasam, making promises. Stay away from it. Because sometimes it might get you the sale, but it will take away and blot away all blessings. And part of mutual Con, uh, consent is that transaction must be conducted in a just and transparent manner as complete consent cannot be achieved when things are left vague and in abeyance. In the last program I made mention, you sometimes get a constructor at home and you tell him, alright, fix it up. Right, fix this up. But there is no agreement how much is going to cost. What is going to be at the end of the day the cost with regard to and if you don't do it and then afterwards he comes and gives you a bill and you say but now it's so expensive but why didn't you agree upon the bill before why didn't you agree upon the cost before so any transaction which is left vague and in abeyance in islam is not permissible so i think that is one one of the things with regard to ethics is that we must have all our transactions clear 
and it must not be vague. And I even give this example of, you know, uh, someone in a business, brothers are in a business, and after being in a business, they don't clarify things. They don't clarify things. And if they don't clarify things, how the matter is going to be resolved? You know, so is a father got three, you know, sons in a business? And now what are the position of the sons? Is the father giving them a salary or giving them perks based solely on his discretion? And if it is so, then many times it opens up the door for accusations of favoritism. So are they only working and they are getting a salary or are they partners? And if they are partners, they have to put in some capital, even if the father can help them with capital. But if they are partners, what is the percentage? How will the percentage be drawn? When will it be drawn? How will it be drawn? What percentage will go back into the business? What percentage will be given as, you know, profit? You know, so all of these things are not clarified. And when it's not clarified, it becomes a matter of dispute. And if someone tries to clarify it, then sometimes he is the blameworthy party in the sense that he has been told that uh, you are the person who is causing division. Whereas not clarifying it is a cause of division. So these are very important things that we need to be uh, able to do. Mm, to have the, the clarity in all our business transactions, to have it written down as well, mm. um, that sometimes we just take it no, for granted that, no, this is my brother or this is my sister, this is my sibling, we have a verbal agreement and sometimes that doesn't work out mm-hmm. later on. Some said is a hadith, some says a very beautiful Arabic saying, live with strangers as if they are your families. Be so good with strangers as people will feel that they are your family. But as far as business transaction is concerned, then then transact even with your family as if they are strangers. I saw a Facebook page recently, you know. So one professional was asking the question that um, how do I deal with uh, family and friends uh, because uh, I'm a professional and, and I charge a certain rate and, and family come and because I'm family they expect <laughs> freebies or they expect certain things so I mean see one of the things that I will say this much is uh, there's nothing wrong that you be compassionate and I think in such situations a person if he's a professional if he's helping so many people let him help his family right but uh, at the same time, other family members mustn't expect anything at completely, you know, just take advantage. So there must be a good understanding. So someone who is a professional can help family members with a certain degree of um, maybe a discount or something like that because they are family. He'll get rewarded for that. But at other time, the other family members must not take advantage of it at the same time. I don't know how you can get that balance right, but it is perhaps, I don't know, some, some professionals just don't treat family and they send them somewhere else. Whereas if you do have a skill and you can help family members, by all means do it. But at the other time, the family members should not take advantage of it also, isn't it? Otherwise, my every family function, everybody wants to check up and everyone wants... <laughs> you see, a person came to a lawyer once and he said, uh, uh, can I ask you a question? Uh, and uh, what's, what's the charges with regard to it? So every question is, I got a charge. And the first question has already been asked. <laughs> you will be bull for that also. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yeah. Yeah, so 
um, where you can help, of course, we should try and help and assist, but uh, shouldn't take advantage of that. We are speaking about uh, business ethics on the program this morning. Uh, you can interact with us. Uh, you can share with us your thoughts on 072-786-1548. That's our WhatsApp number. You can give us a call as well. Uh, the lines are open on 011-854-1548. The second principle, more a Muslim may only sell items that he is allowed to consume. The items that you sell must be halal to consume. You can't sell anything that is haram. Sayyidina Umar once was informed of a person who was selling alcohol. He exclaimed, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curse him. Does he not know that Allah's messenger say, May Allah ta'ala curse the people of the past. Allah ta'ala prohibited them to consume the fat of animals. So what they did was, they didn't didn't sell it directly they melted it and they sold it so they made hila so just as the people of the kapas were called cursed for the indulging in trade and the consum consumption of what was prohibited likewise Muslims are liable for the anger and the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if they indulge in similar practices what is haram to consume is haram to sell. And I think this is very important for us to, to, to make mention. Nabi Karim Sallallahu has cursed 10 people with regard to alcohol. And part of it is buying it, selling it, witnessing it, carrying it, all different types of situations. So I think it's important that we always bear this ethic in mind. What is haram to consume is haram to sell. And we should keep that in mind as well, that when we are doing any form of business or when we are venturing any business uh, dealings, then uh, keep that in mind, that if something is haram to consume, then of course you cannot uh, sell it or trade in it to help or assist in any way with that as well. Yes, and then of course uh, one, one important point, and I think maybe it was something that needs uh, a little bit more clarification. While Islam allows the taking of fair and reasonable profit, um, one of the one of the ethics to be kept in consideration in trade is that while you are allowed to to benefit, it must not be at the greater good of society. So while you are doing something that is permitted for you to take profit you can't you can't conduct business in such a way that it impacts upon the greater good and why we can just maybe also put forward the uh, the lines with regard to what uh, people if they want to say something or send messages is there something that we can maybe do that mm. yes uh, they can interact with us they can share with us their thoughts uh, the whatsapp line is open 0727861548 and of course uh, the, the calls if you'd like to come on here as well that line is open as well on 0118541548 so th this is something that is very important why how how do you do uh, business in such a way that does not impact upon the greater good. Now, this is a broad principle, but under the principles there are many things that happens. Allah uh, in the Holy Quran says, That uh, wealth must not circulate only amongst few people. So this happens when there's monopolies. Right? So when there's monopolies, 
uh, you have a situation where the person controls the price. And that's what's happening in the world today. That's why the poor are suffering. <coughs> Islam doesn't allow someone to, to, to create such a monopoly that he corners the entire market at the expense and at the detriment of community and society. Islam, you know, I mean, of the beauty of our religion, sometimes we don't understand. Really, we don't look at the beauty of... Nabi Karim Sallallahu even to this extent, such is free trade, to the benefit of the consumer, to the benefit of the poor. Nabi Karim Sallallahu said, you know, you used to get agents. So a person, a farmer, goes from his farm, selling his produce, and he comes to the marketplace to sell. Now that's what happened even today, it used to happen in the time of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi disliked someone must meet the farmer on the road and buy his produce from him and then come and sell it at the marketplaces. Now what's going to happen? Just think about it. Look at the wisdom of Islam. Look at the wisdom of our beloved Prophet. If he's going to buy it from the farmer while before he brings it into the marketplaces, before he brings it into the fruit and vegetable market, he's going to buy it. He just say he comes to us and I'll buy your old produce for so much. Now he comes back. Now he's got it. He's going to set it at a profit. And that profit is going to increase as it comes down to the consumer. Nabi Akrim Sosin said, let the farmer come to the market and let him sell it at the market value. Just an amazing thing. So monopolies... And that is why you got in South Africa the comp uh, Competitions Tribunal. But I don't know how effective it is. Sometimes it has made certain rulings. But at the end of the day, this is also part of Islamic ethics and, and trade. They don't corner the market in such a way, which of course, people, big businesses today, um, they try to do that. But at what cost? At the cost of the poor people. And Islamic business ethics and business, you know, uh, the rulings are based on let it be beneficial for the poor. Even in Mabonifar Amutulali, whenever there is a difference of opinion, whether zakat must be given on a particular item or not item, his general rule was anfalil fuqara, what is beneficial for the poor. So where there is a situation where there is difference of opinion, in that opinion, where you're going to give more zakat, Imam Mabonifar Amutulali favored that opinion. Subhanallah. That the system of Islam is such that, uh, that it benefits uh, the poor people, whereas when we look at uh, the Western world and uh, the laws that they have and all of that sometimes looks to benefit only those that are super rich. So uh, it's good that the Islamic uh, economic system as well is there to help and assist the poor people. Uh, it's just gone past 9.30. This is the social program on Radio Islam today. So we're going to cross over for our half-hourly uh, headlines. Brother Kilmia steps into studio for that. Uh, after that, there is an ad break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we will continue with this discussion. Uh, you can send through your, your, your WhatsApp messages, or if you'd like to come uh, on air as well, you can give us a call at 011-854-1548. This week on the social program, Ibrahim Abam is with us here in the studio and we are speaking about business ethics this is part two uh, of uh, the discussion that my had commenced a few weeks back on uh, the program speaking about honesty in our business and the
the business ethics that a believer should uh, live by. Uh, Ma, there's a question or rather a comment that has come through here from um, uh, listeners saying that uh, unfortunately honesty in business these days is very rare. Uh, one person told me that how do you expect me to build my empire with honesty? And he said most people become wealthy through dishonest business practices. And now that they're set, they ensure everything is above board. So to get to that level, they'll be dishonest, whatever it is. And once they, they have the empire, then they ensure that everything is above board. So how do you uh, do this? And he says the only response I could give them is that uh, the reward of an honest businessman in the year after. There is, there is a barakah and blessing that comes about because of honest business. And Allah Ta'ala will grant it. One, if once a person opens up the door and feels that I cannot do honest trade or I cannot do honest business, then they, it's a slippery slope. Then where do you end? Where do you stop? My Ustad as a Mufti Walayah, you know, once in our class in Bukhari used to tell us that uh, there were certain business practices that people used to do. And he took an you know, accommodating view with regard to it. And he said, one of the reasons why I took an accommodating view and I made it permissible because although there were different opinions on that matter, I made it permissible because Muslims must not get the impression that it is not possible to do halal trade. Because once you get that particular mindset, there is a very slippery slope. Where are you going to stop? Then you can justify anything. And as I said before, um, and I'm going to repeat those questions. Is it naive for Muslims to behave ethically in a globally competitive market characterized by such murky under undercurrents? Is it naive for Muslims to be honest and just in business? Will honestly simply deprive them of the competitive edge over their business rivals? Has it become unsound business practice to be honest? Is it too costly to be honest? And the answer for every Muslim must be an emphatic no. We have to live by uh, those ethics and those teachings of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on how to deal um, as a businessman, that as a business, that every part of our Sharia, Alhamdulillah, there's guidelines and values that a Muslim should follow. Right. And then afterwards, we did we did the, the the first principle: trade by definition enables dealing with people, so there must be mutual consent, and that consent must not be coerced. You must deal with halal. You can't deal deal with haram. And then, of course, some of the other things is that you know you while doing and taking a profit, it must not be at the cost of the greater good. So one example I gave with regard to monopolies, the other is with regard to hoarding. Now, I don't know, I'm not that well versed in business. So if you start hoarding, so many times people hoard with the intention that I'll, I'll hoard the, 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 the goods, and then when it becomes more profitable, I'll create an artificial demand there is, the goods are there, but I have withheld it. And when that artificial demand I'll create because I won't put it out in the market, I'll keep it in my store storerooms, in my warehouse. And then when it becomes more expensive, then I will send it. I mean, that's like selfish, man. I mean, that, that's, that. therefore, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to say that um, a person uh, who, who hoards goods, especially food, he has used... A very very severe language with regard to it that when a man hoards food stuff refuses to sell in order to gain from the price hike Allah hardens his heart and remove compassion from him in a hadith in by in in Razi by Jami evil is he who hoards goods 
you know, in another hadith in Tibrani, whoever interferes with the prize of goods in order to raise them, deserves that Allah Ta'ala throws him into Jahannam. These are strong words. That Allah Ta'ala says, let, let the market be free. Let, let the market dictate the, the, the value. Don't you artificially dictate it for your benefit. SubhanAllah, look at the beauty of Islam. So this is hoarding is one and one important point is telling, you know, getting involved in stolen goods. Because once you get involved in stolen goods and what actually happens is you are encouraging theft. And one day that thing is going to come and bite you yourself. Right. So if you're going to get involved in stolen goods, one day someone will come and hold you up and steal from you. Hmm. Because you have created the environment for stolen goods to become acceptable and, you know, marketable. Therefore, in a hadith in Targhib, Nabi Karim Sallallahu said, whoever buys goods that are stolen or he feels that it is stolen, he has sufficient reason to doubt that it is stolen, he shares in the sin of stealing. Now, can you imagine? One, one person told me recently, he said they were going somewhere and the, the, the phone got stolen. Mm. When he went, the phone got stolen, um, they tracked it. And they eventually tracked it to a Muslim businessman who was in the area. Right. right. So he said, this is my phone. Give, give me back my phone. Yeah. So he bought it from the, from the people who stole it. He mm. said, no, I'm not going to give it to you for nothing. <laughs> so, but it's his phone. He said, but it's my phone. He said, yeah. no. So you say because of the fact that I had my data there, I had my contacts, I had to pay a little bit of a premium to get it back, knowing it is my phone. Mm. I mean, come on, how, how unethical is that? Mm. Am I? You probably would be able to pick up, I guess, as a businessman who, who is in that game, you would be able to uh, to pick up that no, there, there's something wrong here. Mm -hmm. And when it's too, when the price is too good to, to be true, then you, you do get a sense of it. Sometimes people would try and justify and say, no, that we didn't steal it. Yeah. Our transaction between that person was, yeah. could we bought it from that person. But yeah. if you have that overwhelming feeling or knowledge that this is stolen. I mean, see, when something has been sold for 10 rand and someone comes and offers to you for 7 rand, now you must be able to say, man, this is not right, man. This is something that is, you know, must, it must have fell from the truck. <laughs> really, I'm saying it is also something very worrying because Muslims are getting a bad name because of this in certain instances. Right. Ma, there's a question here, right, uh, the, the, from, from a listener that says that, that they have an exchange and return, uh, exchange return or refund and refund policy within 14 days at our store, mm -hmm. our Islamic store. Uh, what they find is, unfortunately, we have customers that will use the item and then return it. Uh, so they'll use it for functions or they'll use it for eat. And then after that, they, they'll come and return it because it is within that 14 days. What is the, the Islamic rule? I mean, obviously it's wrong. I mean, you don't even need to ask that. It's so, it's so unethical. Yeah. I mean, the normally when your person gives the option of you returning it, it's because you made a certain mistake and maybe the size are not right and you come back. Now, if your person benefits from it, then he's, if he's benefited from it, then he must pay for it. He can't benefit from it and still come and ask for a refund. It is unethical practice. It is not, it's not permitted. 
Uh, Moana, they can probably have some policy to say that, that if the, the item has yeah, been used can. or again, they, that, that they don't have to then take it back because um, yeah. otherwise people will do this all the time. I mean, you don't want to use someone else's things. There are certain parts of the, you know, yeah. of your body or certain clothes. You don't want to use someone else's mm. thing that has been used. I mean, right. it just doesn't make sense. Mm. There are certain sensitive clothing items. You don't want to get, you know, someone involved. I mean, just... But I mean that's that's a reality, and that's why perhaps we did this, you know, just to highlight some of the things that are happening. Yeah, so that that shouldn't be done. That shouldn't be done. Mm -hmm. If you're buying an item, yes, if you take it home, it doesn't fit. You're not too sure about it. Then, of course, that uh, refund or that return exchange policy is there for that. But if you've used it, you wait for your function. You went there, and everybody complimented you and said, "Well, mashallah, nice kurta or buy." You had it after that to take it back would, would be uh, totally uh, wrong. Yeah. Um, well, there's another question here that mm. uh, they're saying that uh, I sell prawns and a customer wanted for me 20 boxes. He assured me that he was genuine and a serious buyer. I'm an honest businessman. Uh, I got caught after getting uh, the stick for him. He stopped taking my calls or messages. Uh, I'm now sitting with the expense. So I, I think the, the person wanted to order it, and then after that they didn't want it. If I'm just understanding the message. Yeah, but if he's ordered it from you, and then he says that is why certain types of pie types people make, uh, you know, they make uh, a person pay deposit so that at least you know that I'm ordering a thing, so I'm not I'm not prejudiced. But if a person has ordered it and he's asked the person to get it and he made the person do the commitment, then he must fulfil it. Allah in the Quran says, "Ya or you who believe fulfill your commitments. And just by, by, by saying well, by, by verbal orders, it, it's that they should then, of course, try and... Uh, you know, it's amazing. We, we don't understand. Like, for example, one other thing is to be just in your business dealings, right? So this is such an important thing that we don't realize. Shah Waliullah in his book, in his written, to give free reign to profiteers in business practice will be akin to spreading corruption on the earth and bringing misery to ordinary people. How can you imagine such a great scholar speaking about giving free reign to profiteers? If you give free reign to profiteers without any uh, limitations, without any restrictions, this is what actually happens. So it's important that, you know, uh, while you do it, you have to be keep, keep in touch. And of course, something is also is to be just and fair in your business dealings. Right. right. So Nabi Karim Sallallahu one day went out to the bazaars of Medina, saw a person selling wheat. Right. And Nabi Karim Sallallahu perceived something. And Nabi Sallallahu looked at his wheat and put his hand underneath the wheat and saw that the wheat underneath was damp was not of good quality. And the one on top was of good quality. And Nabi Sallallahu says, He is not of part of this ummah who deceives people. Look at what you are doing. You're presenting to the people the good stock and underneath you put in the weak stock or you put the defected stock. That's not permissible. That is deceiving people. Now I know that there's been this whole situation many times people get imported goods and sometimes they get imported fruit or they get imported uh, uh, meals or food and then the top is all nice and then underneath you get you get all the rotten things right 
Now that's again that's de de deceiving. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, minna man ghashana. He is not from amongst us who deceives people. And part of it is to make mention of the defect of the item. If you're selling something and it's defective, you need to tell the people with regard to it that this is a defect. Otherwise, it's 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 it's, it's deceit. Right? Sometimes, for example, uh, you put up a brand, right? And you're selling a brand which people might be buying that brand because they perceive it to be of good quality. But in reality, it's it's not that brand. You just put the name of that brand, right? right. Now, if you're selling that to people and he's buying it on the assumption that it is genuinely that brand, then you have deceived him, right? Now, if he knows that it's not that brand, but you, you just put it, you just put in the name, and he knows that he's buying a fake item. Now, that's a different matter. It's from the law perspective. I'm not going to deal with that. But if if he's thinking that it is a, it is a brand which he's buying, and it's not a, a proper brand, it's his deception. Right? So it is made mention that Ibn Sirin, rahmatullahi, once sold a goat, right? And he says that when he was selling it, he told the buyer that this particular goat, when it, when it eats its uh, fodder, right, it kicks the fodder. Now maybe that, that thing is maybe a natural thing of the goat, that it kicks the fodder. But he made mention of it that you're buying this goat, but I'm telling you beforehand that this particular goat, it kicks the fodder. So it's going to give you extra taklif to clean the fodder because the fodder will be everywhere. But he even made mention of that defect. So it's something that <laughs> it is haram to knowingly sell defective merchandise without informing the buyer of the defect. There's some of the stories of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah as well where he would deal in material. Well, there's, a very, and that's, uh, there's another thing that comes up. So Imam Abu Hanifa rahmatullahi was not only an imam, he was also a, a, a very big merchant and a very successful merchant, and not only a merchant of cloth, but he was, you know, someone who was a wholesaler. So one day he went somewhere, and he told someone, don't sell this good, it is defective. He came back, and he found that the man sold it. So he took that, and the man tried to say that, the man, I, the man took it. He said, no, no, what you have done is wrong. So because, you know, you couldn't ascertain which, with the money from that, he took that whole day's money and he gave it all in charity. So and he said, Allah. you have done wrong. Firstly, you have sold a defective item. And secondly, that you have charged exorbitant profit. Mm. Now, of course, it's a very sensitive thing with regard to exorbitant profit because many times people will say he's a willing buyer, willing seller. If a person is prepared to buy an uh, item at a particular cost, it should be permitted. And yes, there is certain degrees of permissibility technically. But you shouldn't then, uh, you know, just take advantage of the situation and charge exorbitant profits. Although I do agree that that is a subjective view. What is exorbitant, what is not exorbitant, will depend upon the the market and will depend upon what is uh, the going rate and the market value of that item. But again, don't don't take advantage. Hmm. Well, there's a question here that has come through from one of the listeners. It says that I have a home business, but, but how do I deal with others who just cut prices just to make the sale? Yes, I do understand Riz Karozi is from Allah but with so many items to sell and others just sell it, uh, cut prices and just want to make the sale. Well, that's always going to get you. I mean, that is a marketplace now. You know, you have to find the stuff now. You're not having that particular type in Medina Imunawara. 
uh, as a Mufti Taqisab has made mention of it in his in his bayans and in his writings. He used to say that one day a person came to a person to buy goods, right? And he said that, listen, I got what you wanted, but that businessman there, he also got the same item going buying from him. So he said, I came to you, why are you sending me somewhere? SubhanAllah. So he said, I already had three sales for the day. And that man didn't have any sale. Go to him. SubhanAllah. Now, that type of situation, you don't get, you know. Mm. So Mufti Takasab has written that in Medina Manuara, in the marketplaces, this was an actual incident. Person came to buy and he said, no, go and buy from him. From the morning, I've already had a couple of sales. He still had never sale, go and buy from him. SubhanAllah. Yeah, nowadays it's just about uh, making the quick sale. Nobody's worried about the rules and the etiquettes of trade, subhanAllah. But when we look and we study uh, the scholars of the past and, uh, and uh, the businessmen of the past as well, we find that there are etiquettes, ethics that we should follow. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, the most important is honesty. There is nothing greater in business than than, uh, than honesty. And Nabi Karim Sallallahu is so greatly made mention with regard to that and he said uh, Safwan bin Sulaim came to our beloved Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said Ya Rasulullah is it possible for a mu'min to be a coward? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said it's not a good quality but it's possible. A Muslim is a human being, human being got certain weaknesses and as a weakness he might be having a weakness of being a coward, it's possible not good but possible then Nabi Karim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said can a mu'min be a miser? Nabi Sallallahu said, yes, possible, not a good quality, but he's a human being, he can have it. Ayakun al-mu'minu kathaban. Ya Rasulullah, can a mu'min be a liar? Nabi Sallallahu said, never. He can have other weakness in his temperament, in his conduct, but he cannot be a liar. That is something far removed from Islam. Our last uh, comment here. <laughs> saying that uh, many people deal here in shady business, uh, shady business, business dealings or something that is doubtful and then uh, to sort of suit themselves they then spend that, that, that the profit that they make on helping uh, Islamic organizations. Well, you see, in Allah tayyib la yakbilu illa tayyibah is a hadith of our beloved Nabi Karim. Allah Ta'ala is pure, he only accepts that which is pure. So this is why ulama have said that you must only give halal in, in charity. You can't use haram in giving charity. So, as a Sheikh Ali has written a kitab, Fazail uh, Tijarat. Now, people know about as a Sheikh Ali's Fazail Amal, Fazail Sadaqat. This one here is worthy of reading. In that, now listen to this, Monana. As a Sheikh Ali has written, and I think it's um, subject to correction, he has quoted Abdullah ibn Mubarak Ali saying that. It is better to give one dinar back to its rightful owner than to give 600,000 dinars and dirhams in charity. It is better to give one dirham back to its rightful owner than to give 600,000 dirhams in charity. Now that tells you about the mindset of Islam, that it answers this question. And then in that particular book, I remember reading a quotation, which I made note of it somewhere in my notes, that giving charity with haram is like washing a dirty garment with urine. This is how the examples of ulama have given. 
So yes, it's 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 amazing. Uh, Ulama have also written. Now you see, the, for for people who are taking the stuff, something becomes difficult. You know, I mean, you you you, you judge a person by their parent. Right. But Ulama have written, if a person's earnings are majority haram, and he's known that he's majority haram, then you should not take charity from such a person. Mm. And if overall majority is something that is halal, then it's permitted to take it. But then also be be cautious. Right. Well, there's so many messages here, just of people explaining you know, the, the way that people behave, and really it's shocking. They're saying here that, Molana, um, I experienced, uh, or my experience, I sell spices. I had someone park outside my house to stop the truck that delivers and then steal the contact so that they can also start uh, selling at a much lower prices. They knew that my delivery comes every Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, Allah. I, I, I mean, see, the thing is, unfortunately, and this is the, the, the criteria. I know maybe I must also end off with Rahimallah Abdul Nidaba Sama Waidishtara Waidiktada. Nabi Sallallahu said, May Allah have mercy upon that buyer, that seller, and that person who is merciful and compassion when he buys, when he sells, and when he trades, and when he demands. Now, in today's time, who associates compassion with business transactions? But yet Nabi Sallallahu said, That person, Allah's mercy upon that person. These are all the teachings of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We've come to the end. It, it, it went by so quickly today. I'm sure there's so much more that I would like to discuss. Yeah, maybe we nice to see some of the things that are happening. Mm. So many people have said, so at least we know what's happening. So we can alert the people. I mean, sometimes not an easy thing to do, but Allah make it easy, inshallah. Amen, amen.